What up, world? It's your past first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Lockdown Blazers, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. And dear listeners, the Blazers avoided a five-game losing streak. They beat the Atlanta Hawks tonight. So I want to talk about that. Uh, we don't do game recaps here on Lockdown Blazers, but I do want to discuss what that win means. I also want to discuss the parallels between 2017 Yusuf Nurkic and 2019 Hassan Whiteside. You might end up being surprised how similar those two guys are. And finally, I want to close the show in the third segment talking about a important stat. The Blazers very well may have saved their season by winning on Sunday night. But let's start with the game. I said I don't do recaps, and I really mean that. I don't want to do eight minutes of what happened in the game. You can watch the game. Either you recorded it or you already watched it. You don't come to me to read the box score. So I'll give you a 15-second refresher to tell you what happened. The Blazers were underwhelming and disjointed early. Then, Anthony Simons had a good third quarter. Then, it looked like they might win in the fourth. Then, the Hawks had a couple buckets to force OT. Kent Bazemore hit two crucial three-pointers in overtime, and the Blazers escaped 124-113 to run their record to 4-6 and and avoid a five-game losing streak and earn their first home win after losing their first three home games to begin a season for the first time since 1971. It has been a while. You can find real recaps anywhere else on the internet. You can probably find other Blazers podcasts that will recap quarter by quarter what happened in the game. We're not doing that. There's 82 regular season games. We'll save that for the playoffs. What we're doing is answering this question. Was this an important win for the Blazers? Does Game 10 against the Atlanta Hawks on November 10th matter? I'm going to say yeah. And here's why I'm going to say yeah. This season was already kind of getting out of control for the Blazers. The Hawks aren't good. They're not terrible. They're 3-6 and six on the season. But they're not good by most, most measures. This is, they're probably not a playoff team in the East. They're missing John Collins, arguably their second best player. They are incredibly young. So for all those reasons, a team like the Blazers, a team that fancies itself a playoff team in the West, just cannot lose to the Atlantis of the world. This was part of the Blazers' secret to success last season. They went 24-6 and against the Eastern Conference. They bullied the East. Their six losses, Washington, Milwaukee, twice against Miami and Hassan Whiteside, Toronto and Detroit. Five against playoff teams in the East. They did not lose to bad Eastern Conference teams. It was a secret of their success. Their loss to the Wizards happened the first week of the season. They lost in overtime. Uh, if you'll recall, they just played terrible defense on the last possession and gave up a wide-open three to Brad Beal. But that formula, not losing to bad teams, not... Not that every team in the East is bad, but you get my point in general. Not giving away games, winnable home games, is incredibly important for the Blazers and incredibly important for them at their current state when they're kind of teetering. They still have, obviously, problems across the roster. They don't have a power forward. Mario Zonia is not a solution. He started there again tonight. Rodney Hood is out for 
maybe multiple games. He didn't play tonight. I, I mentioned in the podcast I recorded on Friday with Sean Hyken that CJ McCollum kind of alluded to Rodney Hood maybe missing several games. He, he said, Rodney, oh, I think Rodney Hood is out now. Um, sounds like talking to Hood today that this could be an extended absence, but he doesn't know just yet. So they're down another uh, down another starter. Scal played through a, a, a bum ankle today, but outside of all those obvious problems with the Blazers, and, and I'm not going to highlight them too heavily, we have plenty of time to talk about how janky this roster is. Outside of the jankiness, outside of CJ McCollum's shooting slump, which he sort of broke out of tonight, but not really, I would say. 23 points on 11 of 23 shooting. He started 0 for 5 from 3. Hit one in overtime that mattered, but... It, it, the style points don't matter for the Blazers. The, what matters is the results, and the results that they got were beating a bad team. We won't look back and say, oh, they had to beat the Hawks in overtime. We'll say that's a good win in game number 10 because it's a win in game number 10. So for me stylistically doesn't matter the fourth quarter the Blazers still not being able to slow down my dude red velvet Kevin Horder doesn't matter Jabari Parker feasting on them doesn't matter Trey Young putting up 35 doesn't matter what matters is they were able to survive and win this game because it doesn't get a lot easier on Tuesday they go to Sacramento that's certainly a winnable game but no road game is a lock. Then they're back home against the Toronto Raptors on Wednesday night, the second night of a back-to-back, and the Raptors are without Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka, dipping deeper into their bench that they've been hesitant to play this season, but they're still really good. They just beat the Lakers in Los Angeles. I don't think the Blazers have someone who can guard Pascal Siakam on their roster, and I don't think they're going to add someone by then. So that's why this win is huge. Following that game against Toronto, they go on a six-game road trip over about 11 days, 12 days. They won't be back till just before Thanksgiving. That's a long time on the road. A long time on the road for a team that, before tonight, was looking like they're in trouble. I'm not sure that I feel like they're out of trouble yet, but if we're answering the question that I set out to answer at the beginning of the segment, was this an important win? Absolutely. You build habits during the regular season, and some of those habits have to be just taking care of the bad teams however you can take care of them. Blazers aren't good enough to blow teams out right now. On Sunday, they were good enough to survive. That's all that really matters. They want to tread water. They want to be as good as they can until they can either get healthy or make a trade or sign someone off the street to improve this roster. But they've got to stick around 500. They can't dip that much lower. Sunday was a big win because they didn't dip any lower. In the second segment, I want to talk a little bit about Hassan Whiteside and how when I watch him, I got a little bit of deja vu. Takes me back two years ago when I was watching another Blazers center who had some effort and execution problems in his first full season with the team. So that's what we'll talk about in the second segment. Before we get there, though, I'm going to do something I never do. I'm going to ask you guys, if you enjoyed this podcast, leave me a five-star review on iTunes. I always say tell your friends, but also tell the internet. If you enjoy Lockdown Blazers, let it be known by leaving a kind review for your boy. Appreciate it. Okay, 
We talked Blazers win over the Hawks. In my eyes, it's an important victory because it's a victory. And this time of year, this stage of the season, they really, really, really needed one. Next, what I want to talk about is a lingering feeling I've had. When I watch Hassan Whiteside, I kind of get a little bit of sense of deja vu. A center who maybe didn't reach his potential in his last stop coming to Portland and with the assumption that he could be immediately fixed by the Blazers' magic culture and Damian Lillard's leadership style, not quite getting there right away. What it really reminds me of, and this is where the deja vu starts, is that it's 2017 Yusuf Nurkic revisited. And in a story that Joe Freeman wrote for the Oregonian, titled, Cute, in quotes, Yusuf Nurkic finally unleashes his inner beast for the Portland Trailblazers. But is it here to stay? And... This story I want to read you a little bit of, it, the content of it really strikes me as parallel to what the Blazers are currently dealing with with Hassan Whiteside. So let me read you a little bit. And you can Google this if you want to read it for yourself. But the exchange starts, uh, a reporter asked Nurkic about a cut he had on his nose, the bridge of his nose. He got, hit, he got caught in the face because Nurkic always gets hit in the face somehow. But Nurk said, I'm still cute. And Joe Freeman writes, The Blazers' starting center was joking, of course, prompted to answer a silly question with a clever answer. But the entire exchange was loaded with irony, as it highlighted perhaps the most prescient issue with Nurkic and one of the most more maddening problems with the Blazers through the first 34 games of a middling, disappointing season. Blazer fans have endured too much cuteness and not enough beast from their beloved Bosnian this season. They've watched too many delicate, head-scratching close-range shots. They've witnessed too many wild what-is-he-doing passes. They've stomached too many flops and flubs and fouls, which almost always have been followed by whines to officials. So look, that is not what Hassan Whiteside's dealing with. He's not having trouble finishing around the rim, and he's not having issues where where he's whining to the refs about calls. But he is having issues with consistency and effort, and particularly bringing consistent effort if you want to put a fine point on it. That strikes me as the type of thing that was bothering Yusuf Nurkic. You'll recall that Nurk was fantastic when he first got to the Blazers in the spring of 2017, but when his first full season with the Blazers, which is when this story was written, that it took him almost half the year to really get going. The Blazers were around 500, and he was their starting center, and he was just just struggling. The idea was that the Blazers had already fixed him or that the the what Damian Lillard and his relationship would already just lead to sort of magic success, but it took a little while. And in the story, Nurkic talks about basically just playing hard. He, said he was mad. And basically the crux of the story is that mad use of Nurkic, the one who plays with effort and energy, is the one the Blazers need to save their season. If that doesn't sound to you like Hassan Whiteside, I don't know what does. Let me lead you a little bit more of that story. Joe Freeman writes, After the game, when he addressed his players in the locker room, Coach Terry Stotts told his team it could use the angry, motivated Nurkic every night, and his teammates agreed. I like Mad Nurkic, CJ McCollum said. Mad Nurkic makes free throws, he dunks, he does a lot of different things that we need. Added Shabazz Napier, he was more aggressive, he wasn't looking to get fouled, he was actually going up there finishing the ball. It was just great to see him come back out there with the type of swagger that he always has. It was this swagger, of course, that was such a difference maker for the Blazers late last season, when Rip City was infected with Nurkic fever fever en route to an unlikely playoff berth. That 20-game stretch has proven to be more hype than reality, however, as a larger sample size has exposed Nurkic warts, which have included questionable decision-making, 2.8 turnovers per game, regular foul trouble, and annoying body language and terrible shooting at the rim. 
How many times have you yelled at your television, dunk the basketball, when Nurkic blindly flips up a close-range shot with finesse or settles for a layup? Look, I'm not saying that what ailed Yusuf Nurkic two winters ago is what ails Sasan Whiteside right now. They are different players in different situations dealing with different things. In fact, I think what Hassan Whiteside is struggling with is setting physical picks, boxing out consistently on rebounds, rolling hard to the rim after he sets screens, uh, closing out on defenders in small spaces on defense, just little effort things. He's a different player with a different skill set than Nurkic. His issue isn't finesse around the rim or not dunking the ball or whining, but the parallels are striking. A center who's here to save the Blazers' season in a situation where they don't have a ton of better options, struggling, and him being the reason they're struggling. I said it was deja vu because when I watch this on Whiteside, I think of that season of Yusuf Nurkic, of the guy who was supposed to be the savior and turned out to be the bad, the bad version of a goat early on in that season. Of course, the Blazers responded that year. Nurkic responded was much better down the stretch. So maybe that should give you reason to be patient with Hassan Whiteside. You say, it took 35, 40 games for them to coax it out of Yusuf Nurkic. Maybe in 20 or 25 games, once Whiteside's comfortable in the system and found a rhythm playing off of Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, that'll get it going. But here's where I have a great deal of pause. And Damian Lillard mentioned this in a great piece written by Jason Quick earlier this week is that when Yusuf Nurkic was struggling, when his attitude and his play were so connected, uh, bad body language would lead to a bad quarter, he would get down on himself, and you could just see it spiraling. You can see it spiral with Hassan Whiteside the same way. Just uh, a couple bad trips or a couple unengaged possessions, and he his body language doesn't look great. Those are similar. But when Nurkic was having those issues, he was 23 years old. And he was getting his... Not first, but second major opportunity. Whiteside's had other opportunities. He's been rewarded with big contracts, and he's 30 years old. And the piece I mentioned from Jason Quick that you should go check out on The Athletic is that uh, Dame specifically talked about the parallels between these two. Not really in depth, um, as I have sort of outlined in this Joe Freeman story, but he said he worked with Nurkic and, and he'll do the same type of thing with Hassan Whiteside, which is sometimes you got to yell and cuss him out. Sometimes you got to be positive, And it's just a blend of when you need to be harsh and when you need to be soft. But Dame mentions it's there is that Hassan Whiteside's been in the league. He's an adult. He's 30. He's really hardened in his ways and getting him to change his approach or set a harder screen, stay a beat longer, be physical in the ways they need him to be physical, be engaged in the ways they need him to be engaged on defense are just more difficult because he's less impressionable than a 23-year-old Yusuf Nurkic understanding that that season with the Blazers was pretty much his chance to get a payday. His first real chance to get that second contract in the league that changes guys' lives. So, I don't exactly know what to do with Hassan Whiteside. I think there's reason to believe he can be better than he's been so far. I think there's reason to believe that his relationship with Damian Lillard can kind of push him towards brighter days. But I also think it's reasonable that when you watch him, he is who he is. And unlike Yusuf Nurkic, who was more pliable, more impressionable, I guess, considering his age, Whiteside is a vet. He's someone who's done this a bunch, and these criticisms that I'm 
leveling against him now are the ones that came with him from Miami and haven't exactly left 10 games into the Blazers' season. So if you want to be hopeful, read that Joe Freeman story from December 2017 and remember what came after it. The Blazers went from 18 and 16 to the third seed in the Western Conference. Or if you're more comfortable in skepticism, remember that while the stories share parallels and while there is a certain similar element to 2017 Yusuf Nurkic and 2019 Hassan Whiteside, they are different players at different stages. Those are the parallels I see. Those are the parallels I can't help thinking of when I watch. I thought Whiteside was a little better on Sunday. Not a cure-all, not an all-star level center or anything like that, but a little better. Baby steps. But most importantly, the Blazers got to win. And what I want to talk about in the third segment is why this might have been a season-saving win. You heard that right. The Blazers might have saved their season in Game 10. That's what I want to talk about in Segment 3. All right, still locked on Blazers, still a pass-first point guard, still Mike Richmond. The Blazers may have saved their season by winning their fourth game on Sunday night. That sounds real dumb. It probably is real dumb. But I did some research before the game started because I knew that this was a big moment in the season. If the Blazers lose five in a row, their first four home games, they lose to a not particularly good Hawks team, that this was going to be a big moment. So I went back through the basketball reference annals to find out what were the worst starts by Western Conference playoff teams over the last 10 seasons? Well, none over the last 10 years, that's zero, had made the playoffs after losing seven of their first 10 games. And that was what was on the line on Sunday night for the Blazers. They lose that game to the Hawks. They fall in OT. They would have fallen to three and seven. And they would have been below the line. I guess that's the arbitrary line I just created, but they would have had seven losses in their first 10 games. And like I said, no team in the Western Conference has come back from that slow of a start over the first 10 games of the season. There have been a ton of teams that have finished four and six. That's why I'm calling this a season-saving win. The Utah Jazz just last year started four and six and made the playoffs. The year before that, OKC made the playoffs at starting four and six. And in 15-16, there was three teams, Houston, Memphis, and your Portland Trailblazers that started four and six and made the playoffs. Denver and Houston made the playoffs at four and six in, 23- in the 2013. Memphis, in the lockout-shortened season, started four and six, made the playoffs. And San Antonio, back in the 09-10 season, also started four and six and made the playoffs. Those are the worst starts over the last decade for Western Conference playoff teams. None of those teams started three and seven. So I started off this podcast talking about whether the Blazers game against Atlanta was meaningful and whether it was a good win. And it was and like I said then and I and I still mean now some 20 minutes later, it was a good win because they really needed one. But I think what this points to is how quickly the season can slip away from teams. I don't think being 4 games under 500 
would be an indicator that at any point in the season, if the Blazers slip in the next 10 days, if they slip four games below 500, I don't think we're burying them. They, over the last four years, have had some years where they've crawled back into the playoffs after relatively slow starts. Now, they kind of raised the expectations a little bit this year, so them being a mid-level or low-level playoff team won't be viewed as a good season the way it would have been with previous iterations of this team. But when you lose a bunch of games in the middle of the year, you have a large enough sample to say, you know, this team just had a bad week. When you lose seven of your first ten, it's the sign of just being a bad team. And now there's some stuff outside of the Blazers' control. Zach Collins getting hurt is just bad news. Uh, The other guys getting dinged up like Rodney Hood is just bad news. Pau Gasol, he's 39. That's their own problem. They knew Yusuf Nurkic was going to be out. But the things in their control are kind of how the rest of the way they've played. They've got new parts that haven't really gelled yet. They've got a mercurial center who really hasn't played super well in any game so far this season. He's had some games where he's been unbad, but I don't know if he's had games where he could be capital G good yet. That might be harsh, but that's how I feel. So the game against Atlanta was a win for all those reasons, the things out of their control and things within their control, but also because the West is brutally tough and while 10 games might not be a meaningful enough sample size to say this team is a is a good defensive team and a good transition defensive team and all the sort of larger statistical indicators that we want, it might be simple enough that teams that make the playoffs in the West don't stink right away. Teams that are going to make a charge and the better of the two conferences and, and the more competitive of the two conferences, they don't stink right away. Being 3-7 and seven might not have sunk the Blazers, but it would have put them behind at least a relatively arbitrary historical precedent that I picked out. But one that I think has some truth behind it. If you're going to be good, you're usually not bad out of the gates. So, maybe the Blazers save their season Sunday. <laughs> when we point back and people like me write uh, this sort of narrative of the end of the season and say, this is these are the turning points. You could see it here and here and here. I probably won't point to a ugly overtime win over the Hawks. But you, dear listener, will remember, and you will remind me, and you will say, their season was saved November 10th when they eked out win number four to move to four and six and keep their playoff hopes alive. I'll check back in on these arbitrary numbers throughout the season. But here's what I know. If the Blazers had been 3-7 and seven and lost five in a row, I would have been way harsher on this podcast about my feelings about them. I'm still worried about this team. But they cleared this one arbitrary hurdle, and they got more arbitrary and actual hurdles to come. Well, probably not actual hurdles. They're a basketball team, but you get it. Do me a favor. Tell your friends about Lockdown Blazers. I already asked you for five-star reviews. I'm not going to ask again. But I am going to ask you to tell a friend, just one person, who likes hoops and say, hey, listen to Lockdown Blazers. It's a cool podcast. You might enjoy it. Tell them it's available or they already get podcasts. Google, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify. More games this week. 
More podcasts coming. I'm going to do a mailbag again. It's Mailbag Monday. If you're listening to this, check Twitter, at Mike G. Rich. I'm going to send out the call for questions. Appreciate you guys listening. Talk to you soon.